Okay, as entertaining as Carl was, my mind's still back on the whole candle thing. And uh, am I the only one who was watching that thinking, if I were doing that, the paper would catch on fire and it would be really embarrassing and awkward and all of the above. So anyway, um, as many of you know, since we reopened, we've been using our children's curriculum as a template for our service each week uh, because it allowed us to have a unified theme offering something for both the young and the young at heart. Uh, most recently, we've been learning from the Psalms, and the weekly lessons typically have spent some time looking at a psalm and also looking at um, a story from another part of the Bible. And both of today's parts that I'm going to touch on will probably seem rather familiar. Uh, the first part, uh, because we've been emphasizing Psalm 119, 105, every week, and Angelina's already touched on it. And the second one, because I reference this story often, as do many other teachers. So we're just kind of going to walk through Psalm 119, 105 through 112. And the question that I want each of you to grapple with as we do is, what do I do with God's Word? What do I do with that verse? How does it interact with or relate to my life? How do I interact with the truth it conveys? So again, just jump in with me. Psalm 105, or Psalm 119, 105. Simply says, as we've said, Angelina just said it, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And a very simple, no-brainer question, okay? Is it really? Is God's word really a guide for the steps that you take. Um, the follow-up question is, what's different because of that? If God's word is a light to my path and a guide for my steps, on a regular, consistent basis, can I step back and say, I took this step, I chose this path, I interacted with my life in this fashion because God's word is a lamp for my feet. And if it's not, just daydream for a moment about what might be different. I suspect most all of us at some point in our lives, in some application, maybe it's because we were wandering in, around in the dark, but at some point we took a wrong turn. And we could step back and say, if I had turned right instead of left or left instead of right, the outcome would have been totally different. God's word is full of people who made bad choices, but then understood they made a bad choice and made a different choice. So again, God's word is a lamp to our feet, and it's intended to influence our steps on a consistent and regular basis. 106 says... I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. Now, we tend not to be a highly oath-driven culture. But I would put it in a slightly different term and ask the question, am I fully committed to following his righteous laws? As if I were oath-bound. Am I fully committed to following his righteous laws at all times? Now, I will use a very benign illustration. This is not a sin issue, 
Well, it might be, but most of the time it's not a sin issue. But let's, let's consider the posted speed limit. Alright? I know, I stepped on toes already. But if I were oath bound to obeying the speed limit, it would mean I obeyed the speed limit when I was going nowhere important and I was in no particular hurry to get there. But it would mean I was equally committed to obeying the speed limit when I was in a really, really big hurry and it was really, really important. And everywhere in between. And so as you extrapolate that very benign illustration, unless you've got a speeding ticket this week, and if so, I'm sorry I poked the bear. Which, by the way, for those of you who pay attention, have you noticed that after we redid Irwin Avenue, we started out at 35 miles an hour, but we're now back to 25 miles an hour. All right? So I'm not saying that's good, bad, or otherwise. I'm saying... If you saw 35 and thought, woohoo, not so much anymore, just saying. But my question is, when I consider the totality of what God's word has to say, how committed am I to living according to his righteous laws? Psalm 119.107, we'll just stick with verses. Uh, I have suffered much, preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Is he, is his word, I should say, my source of preservation even in the midst of suffering? Now, when things are going great, God's laws are awesome. When things are going not so great, I might not be quite as inclined to realize that's where my life is preserved. 108, accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. When it comes to God's laws, do you have a teachable spirit? Am I really willing to allow his laws to permeate my being and influence my thoughts and my actions? And then 109, Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your laws. And my question here is, am I inclined to forget his laws when confronted with trials? I suspect I'm not the only one who has found myself in the midst of difficult circumstances and saying, where is God in this? And sometimes his laws can drift a long ways from my thought process in those times. 110, the wicked have set a snare for me, but I've not strayed from your precepts. The wicked have set a snare for me, and I've not strayed from your precepts. And my question there is, do I remain faithful to him regardless of the wickedness around me? That can go both ways. Sometimes the wickedness around us pushes us, compels us to draw closer to him. But it can also go the other way. 
the wickedness around us distracts us, as Angelina showed, or draws us away from him. And that's a choice we have to make. One eleven puts it this way. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. And are his teachings the source of stability for our lives and the joy of our heart? And again, for me, it can be easy for that to be highly conditional. But his law suggests, his word suggests, that should not be a circumstantial or situational thing. And then 112 says, My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. And this is just one I want to ask you to grapple with. Am I cultivating a relationship with the word of God that will sustain me to the very end? It is intended to be a relationship with God, evidenced in interacting with his word, that continues to develop throughout the entire course of our life on earth. And it does intend, it is intended to be a sustaining effort or a sustaining factor in all that we do. And I know I just went through that and just commented a little bit. But to me, our relationship with his word and how it influences what we say and what we do and how we interact with it and how we interact with others. From those eight verses, if you step back and realize in the totality of God's word, it has a lot to say on a lot of different issues. And it's intended to be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And I want to take the other Bible story to apply it to where we're at today. And it, if we're going to say lamp to our feet and a guide to our path, in the totality of the Bible, where do we start? And to me, Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34, especially, as I've said repeatedly of late, considering all that's going on around us, if God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path, what are we going to do with this passage? Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. And I, I just have to say, you've heard me say this before. I always laugh at that. This guy's talking to Jesus, and he says, good job, Jesus. <laughs> well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered him wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, and from then on, no no one dared ask him any more questions. Friends, in a time 
Again, remember we started with Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto unto my feet and a light unto my path. So at a time when our nation and the people of God are so deeply divided on so many issues, I think every Christ follower needs to ask ourselves on a daily basis, what do I do with God's word? What do I do with a biblical command to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love my neighbor as myself? What does it look like today if that passage is going to be a light to my path? What does it look like for me today to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, body, and strength? Imagine if we were to ask ourselves that first thing every day. What's it going to look like today? What does it look like today for me to love my neighbor as myself? Now, as I've said before, Chris is here. Chris was one of our neighbors till she deserted us. But I've had some really good neighbors, and I've had some others. In a time when we are divided, what does it look like for me to love my neighbor as myself. I can only speak for myself, but for me personally, finding honest and actionable answers to those questions. What does it look like today for me to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, body, and strength? What does it look like today for me to love my neighbor as myself? The neighbor who has a radically different opinion about everything than what I have. What does it look like for me to love them? Because I realize, I'm sure I'm the only one here right now, but an awful lot of people are doing an awful lot of stuff that just irritates the daylights out of me. (laughs) I I know I'm the only one, and I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible person. But... That does not change God's word being a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And yes, I can have a different opinion than someone else. But somehow I have to figure out how to have a different opinion and not let it impact my capacity to love them as God told me to love them. And trust me, folks, I'm not there, but when I read passages like the one I just read to you, God and I consistently have some dialogue. And I understand that I have to keep trying to figure it out. So as I said, I can only speak for myself, but finding an answer that is honest and that I'm willing and capable, not willing, that I'm capable of acting on does not come easily. And I will just say this. Again, nobody else would go here. I'm trusting this. But I have to be very careful that I'm not manipulating God's word to say what I want it to say 
instead of what I need to hear. Because the amazing thing that I'm finding is on virtually every point of contention in the world around me, there are people of God on both sides of the issues, and they're quoting Scripture. I just want to say, when I think about God's Word as a lamp to my feet, or a lamp for my feet and a light unto my path, friends, we must never lose sight of the fact that God's Word is first and foremost intended to be a mirror for self-reflection and not a club to pound people into submission. And again, I'm preaching to the preacher. If it applies to you or if you need to wrestle with it, that's awesome. But that's from God. But I felt, when I thought about that whole lamp unto my feet... I love it when I'm in darkness and I have that warm glow showing me where to go. But sometimes that warm glow showing me where to go may take me places that are still uncomfortable, that I may not choose to go of my own volition because I want to, but I choose to go there of my own volition because that's where he's guiding me to go. And so as I wrap up this time in Psalm 119 and the prioritization it places on God's Word. I just want us to grapple with the fact that if in fact it is God's Word, if in fact it is intended to be a lamp unto our feet, then we need to be willing to follow it and not try to lead it. I'm going to leave you with another passage of Scripture and I have a strong inclination that I'll probably return to it a time or two over the next few weeks. And uncharacteristically, I'm going to share it with minimal commentary because I just want you to process and ask God. Actually, I'm going to stop right there. Would you just pray with me? Father, just pause for a moment. And as we walk through these words of the Apostle Paul who knew a thing or two about living and serving you in a deeply divided environment. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear these words and only apply them to our heart and to the decisions that we make to the thoughts that we have and the actions that we take. So, Father, this is your word. It is intended to be a lamp unto our feet. And so we ask, each of us individually, that you would speak to us and that we might each grapple with what it would look like for us to apply this to our lives. Thank you, Father. Amen. So, the Apostle Paul from Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, if if you don't know what's coming, you may think this is awesome, all right? I mean, what a great thought. I, I'm, I'm the Lord's, or Paul is the Lord's, and he's encouraging us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you by having you raise your hands, But if you're here and you desire to follow 
God in some way, shape, or form, then this is for us. We want to be worthy of the calling that we have received to be followers of Christ. So let's see how he unpacks that. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Really? Let's go back. I I just like this life worthy of the calling that you've received. Okay? Can we just stop there? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bearing with one another in love. And Paul just can't let it go. I mean, he keeps going. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's telling me to make the effort. What about them? (laughs) If they would just agree with me, we could be unified, right? I'm just saying. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Remember what I've said over and over again about repetition. I keep seeing this word, you know, one come up. Verse 7 But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, I'm going to skip a few verses. Paul gets kind of off on a a doctrinal bunny trail, but we're going to pick back up uh, in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. All of that one talk... All of the people that God has uniquely gifted to serve within the body is moving toward building up the body of Christ, which is his church. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What do I do with God's word? Pray with me. Father, I I don't have an easy answer. But if your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path, and if what Paul has just challenged us with as his followers... If Jesus' command to love you and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, then I suspect, excuse me, Father, I will say I know for me, that means I need to do a gut check every day before I get out of bed. 
And I need to be increasingly mindful to be your ambassador to celebrate the unity that we have even when I don't agree or others don't agree with me. So, Father, I pray that you would help each of us to grapple a little bit with the question, what do I do with God's Word? In your name we ask this. Amen. Spencer.